Um, but we're, I want you to take out your prayer list now uh, and look on the back side of this. Of course, we've got several days. I've crossed off many on mine, but we've come to October the 23rd. And today we're praying for, uh, for the gospel to be taken to the ends of the earth. And we're, we're talking tonight about the Great Commission. If you're able, I want you to stand with me tonight. We're going to begin reading here in Mark chapter number 16. Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse number 14. Notice what the Bible says, beginning in verse 14. It says, Afterward he appeared unto the eleven, as they sat at meat, and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. The Bible says in verse 15 of Mark chapter 16, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if any, man, if any drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Father, we thank you for the word of God this evening. Lord, we come to church tonight, I'm excited to be here. I'm thankful that we can be in your house. Lord, you've given us a phenomenal work to do. It's a good fight, as defined by the Apostle Paul. Lord, help us fight the good fight of faith. Lord, help us be faithful to Thee. Help us understand the job You have given us in this moment. Lord, help us not shrink in the day of adversity. Lord, help us see the great opportunity that has been set before us. Lord, we pray that as a church, we would be collectively involved in the great effort of world evangelization. Lord, whether it be in a foreign soil or right here in our own backyard, we ask that you'd help us be faithful witnesses for Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the message tonight. May you teach us great and mighty things. Lord, may you help us understand how we're to serve you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bibles, I'd like to draw your attention to what the Bible says in verse number 15. In verse number 15, we, the Bible says, of course, these are the words of Christ. He says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This is our job. We discussed that this morning as it pertains to world missions. This is the Great Commission. Uh, here in the scriptures, we believe that... Uh, that God is sending us to the ends of the earth with the gospel. We're to go win the lost for Jesus Christ, baptize converts, disciple them, and plant churches. This is the Great Commission. If we were to take a survey of, of the Great Commission, it's listed in more places than just the one. Five parts make up the whole. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, our Lord Jesus Christ gives what we call the Great Commission. And the five parts were given on five different occasions in five different meetings. For instance, the first two times the Lord gave us the Great Commission, uh, he had, it was uh, on the day of His resurrection. The last two times were on the day of His ascension. 
And once during the 40 days, he was with his disciples after his resurrection. But as we look here at the Great Commission tonight, it'll help us understand how we're supposed to go about it. May I tell you, it's an epic task, isn't it? Have you ever considered how big the world is? It's unfathomable. How many of you have have flown to another part of the world? How many of you have been on a plane for a crazy amount of time? I remember our brother, brother Tom Malik dropped me off at the airport in Chicago, Illinois, where I boarded a plane and flew nonstop from Chicago to Hong Kong. 14 hours on an airplane. It's incredible. Talk about cabin fever. It's crazy. It's a long time to be on an airplane. It shows just how large the world is. You go to a place, you know, we're, I grew up in a small town, man, and I think there's as many kids in the public school district here in Pickerington that are in my hometown. It's wild. It's, it's an amazing thing. I remember the first time I moved away from home, I went to college, and uh, we moved to Knoxville, Tennessee, and that was a huge huge city. I couldn't believe how, how big Knoxville was. You know, you get on I-40 and, and you're driving down the interstate and, uh, you know, there's three lanes of traffic. I remember moving out west. We lived in Las Vegas, Nevada for a few years. And I remember getting on, on the 95 freeway and then going one direction, there would be eight lanes of traffic. Not, they would all be going like 95 miles an hour. I remember I picked my, my mother and sister up from the airport, and uh, I looked over. My sister was sitting in the, front, she's in the front seat, and she made the expression, like, you're going to kill us. I said, if I don't drive like this, they're going to kill us. You know, it, it was just, it's just wild. But you go to places, cities of that size, and you meet people from all around the world. Uh, you go, and, and you find people, my battery's dead. I, I, oh, uh, you know, we go to, you can go to all different kinds of places around the world. I remember going to Manila in the Philippines and, and just seeing the, the, the immense population of that city. One of the most densely populated cities in all the world. The world is massive. Billions and billions and billions and billions of people live in our world. But God has given us a responsibility to take the gospel to those who have never heard. I want you to hold your place here in in Mark, but turn ahead with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 17. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. We find here the instruction of the Lord. We see that the gospel here presented throughout the book of Romans. We're told that we're sinners. Romans chapter 1 is very clear that all that we're sinners. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5, 8 says, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then we come to Romans chapter number 10. We have the culmination of the Romans' road as it's termed. 
leading people to faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says in verse number 13, notice, he says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then there's a question asked. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith the Lord who hath believed our report. So then faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. We have a responsibility to take the gospel to those who are unknown by us. This is our responsibility. The magnitude of the Great Commission is immense. It's it's interesting how, how large it is. It encompasses all of humanity. Yet it's so small that Christ died for me. He died for you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. As we look here at the Great Commission, I want you to look with me, if you would please, in the book of John. The Gospel according to John in chapter number 20. To better understand the Great Commission and how we're to go about fulfilling it, it's better to understand the Great Commission as it's given chronologically, not in the sequence that you find it in Scripture. And so in John chapter 20, we find the first principle truth concerning the Great Commission, it's, and it's, it is this, that we are sent by God's divine authority. We are sent by God's divine authority. Why do we have a mission conference? Why do we send out missionaries? Why do we plant churches? Because we are sent by God's divine authority. I do not go and of my own of my own will or choosing, I go because God has given us the authority to go. In, in John chapter number 20, notice what the Bible says, beginning in verse number 19. It says, Then the same day at even, evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. In verse 21, the Bible says, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Would you mark that statement? Even so send I you. Somebody might ask you the question, you know, you were out in the neighborhoods and knocking doors or try to tell people about Christ right here in our own city. And people may ask the question, well, well, what gives you the right to do this? And you can take out your pocket constitution and you can wave it around, but even that is insufficient. The authority by which we are sent is God's authority. The authority of God. Interestingly enough, missions, the concept missions, began in the heart of God. 
From the very beginning of time, from from creation, God has proven Himself to be, quote-unquote, missionary. We look at God's character. God is an outgoing God. He is a God of light. We can turn off the lights in here tonight and it would be somewhat dark. I know the sun is still shining, but, but light is outgoing. God is light. In Him is no darkness at all. God also is love. God's light and God's love are missionary and that they, that they are outgoing. God is pursuing a relationship with people. God is desiring to save the whosoever wills. Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. And not just for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And as we consider the authority by which we go, we, are, we go by God's authority. Do you know what that makes you and me? That makes us ambassadors for Jesus Christ. I want you to look with me, if you would, please, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. There's powerful statements all throughout this passage. And for instance, in verse number 14, Paul writes, he says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. But notice what the Bible says in verse number 20. It says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. So in other words, Paul is saying, Hey, on behalf of Jesus... I am standing here in his stead. Jesus is absent, right? He is, he is in heaven. He is no longer here on earth. And he allows us to stand here in his place. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to God. Friends, you and I, we are, we are God's emissaries. We, we represent the Lord, we represent His wishes, we represent His will, we represent His work in this world. And you and I, we are to go out under His authority. You know what that gives me? Boldness. Doesn't that not encourage you tonight? That this is not something that we launch out on, with, with unassurance or with any uh, about of trepidation or, or any type of reserve. We can go boldly for the Lord knowing that He has sent us out under His authority. Notice the second principal truth we find here tonight concerning the Great Commission is found in the Gospel according to Luke. Would you turn there with me, please, to Luke chapter number 24. This second occasion of our Lord giving the Great Commission. The Bible tells us here, we learn that we are to be witnesses. We are to be witnesses. Look what the Bible says in verse 46. 
and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Verse 48, Mark verse 48, he says, And ye are witnesses of these things. Ye are witnesses of these things. Here we find Luke chapter 24 and verse 48. This is a, a qualitative statement here. Before we can witness, we must be witnesses. This command, of course, the, the desire here is that those of us who witness for Christ must first have witnessed the life-changing power of the gospel in our own lives. In order to be a witness for Christ, I must be born again. I must have witnessed the Lord's work in my own life. Those are the best witnesses, aren't they? Someone who's, who's experienced the love and graciousness of God firsthand. You know, we can, you can always hear like stories from from second hand. But to have an eyewitness account is, is far greater. These are the things that, I, that we've come to know personally. Interestingly enough, the Bible says that we are witnesses of these things. What are these things that he is referring to? Well, he's referring back is how, how the Lord suffered, how he rose from the dead the third day. He's a witness of the resurrected Lord. But the word witness is an amazing word. Sometimes we think of it as being, you know, I've seen something with my eyes. But that's not necessarily the case of this word. The word witness here comes from the same root word from which we get the English word martyr. Which means to die. Interesting, isn't it? In order for me to be a witness, a true witness for Jesus Christ, I must first die. Die physically? No. But die to self. We, we began back in October the 2nd praying for revival. Well, we began on the 30th, but on, on October the 2nd, we began praying for something unique here. I want you to hold your place and look ahead to John chapter number 12. John chapter number 12. What must happen, we must die to self. Jesus says in John chapter 12 and verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and live? Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. What does this mean? We must first die. We must die to self. There are things in every one of our lives that we hold on to. 
It could be an idea, it could be a thought, it could be a habit, it could be something that we love, something that we admire, something that we cherish. But if we're not willing to give that up, we'll never be the witnesses for Christ that we need to be. These, we are told in Hebrews chapter number 12, to lay aside the weights. Hold, hold your place here in John 12. Look, look with me, if you would, to Hebrews Hebrews chapter number 12, coming on the heels of the great hall of fame of faith, men such as Abraham and Isaac are listed, Moses, and all down through the scriptures, these great men and women of old who, live, who by faith loved the Lord and served Him with their lives. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Wherefore seeing... We also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down, at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. We must learn this life of dying to self. And this is not a one-time-fits-all deal. This is something that we have to, to arise and do each and every day. The Apostle Paul and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 31, made this statement, I die daily. And because he made that statement there in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, he could make this statement in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Friends, if we're going to allow the Lord to use us in this manner of the Great Commission, we must be witnesses. Firsthand. We must have come to, know, come to know Christ personally as our Savior. And we must die to self. You are witnesses of these things. Notice the third principal truth concerning the Great Commission. Look with me, if you would, please, back in Matthew. Matthew chapter number 28 tonight. Matthew 28. We see here how we're to go about serving the Lord. God spoke to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by strength, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Don't allow yourself to be deceived into thinking that you can do God's work on your own. The work of Christ is a spiritual work. And too often times you become pragmatic. In other words, the ends justifies the means. Uh, we'll, we'll do whatever it takes to get the results we think we want. So we'll change the method. We'll change the means. We'll change all of these different things in order to accommodate an unsaved audience. But it's foolish. You see, in Matthew chapter 28, we're told how you and I are to serve the Lord. We find a great promise. We learn 
in Matthew chapter 28 that we are to serve the Lord according to His power and not our own. Look what the Bible says in verse number 18 of Matthew 28. The Bible says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. How much power does Christ have? He has all power. There is no power that Christ does not possess. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And because of this, he makes the statement in verse 19, saying, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Note that statement there in verse number 20, where Jesus says, I am with you always. We labor according to the power of Jesus Christ. The Great Commission is humanly impossible. Yet the Lord Jesus let his followers know that his work was not accomplished by the power of oratory. It was not fulfilled through training. It was not accomplished through seminars, but by his presence and power. In John chapter 14, chapter 15, in chapter 16, Christ introduces his disciples to someone very, very important. Do you know who it is? It's the Holy Spirit of God. Why don't you turn there with me, if you would please, to John chapter number 16. In John chapter 16, we're introduced to the Holy Spirit, and Christ tells us what will happen when he comes. And the Bible says, and in verse number 5 of John 16, But now I go my way to him that sent me. Of course, he's telling his disciples that he's about ready to go back to heaven. He's going back to the Father. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. In other words, Christ says, hey, it's important, it's good that I leave. It's what is best for you. We would think that it would be best if Christ had stayed. It would have been best had he been and remained there with his disciples. But he said, no, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. The Comforter, who is the Holy Spirit of God. And Jesus says in verse 8, And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the Prince of this world is judged. Because I have, many, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot hear them now, or bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. We're thankful for the ministry that the Holy Spirit of God accomplishes in the world. And it's expedient that Christ leaves. Why? Because when Christ left, He and the Father sent the Holy Spirit. 
I want you to look back to John chapter 14 and notice here the promise of Christ. He says in verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall, uh, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. In verse 15 he says, If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Notice that statement there in verse 16, that he may abide with you forever. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And the Bible says here that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. Notice in verse 17, the Bible says, for he dwelleth with you. Note that preposition, with. He dwelleth with with you. Christ was speaking present tense here to his disciples. He said, this comforter, he is with you right now. This, how can this be? And then he makes the statement. He says, and shall be in you. He's with you, but one day he's going to be in you. The name for comforter is paraclete. This Holy Spirit of God who, and I don't, I can't wrap my mind around it. It's the Spirit of Christ. It's the same person. It's God Himself who comes to live within us. He, Jesus was with His disciples, but it was expedient, remember, that He go. Because when He left, it means that He could now be in his disciples. He can be in you. Christians, is it not Christ in you for the hope of glory? You and I have been baptized by the Spirit of God. He, he indwells us at the moment of salvation. He seals us with the Holy Spirit of promise. No, friends, He will never leave us nor forsake us. The Bible says, verse number 18 I will not leave you comfortless. Jesus says, I will come to you. And as we, as his children, embark upon this work that he has set before us, we are to work not in our own strength, but in his. You know, we can work a lifetime in our own strength, in our own self-effort. And accomplish nothing. Or we can team up with the Lord. Be laborers together with Christ. And allow God to do a work. A mighty work through us. We're to do these things with the Lord. According to his power. Look over to Mark if you would please. Back in Mark. Chapter number 16. We are sent according to his power. We are witnesses. But notice, not only are we to labor in his power, but thankfully the power of God can accomplish great things. What happens 
When the gospel is preached, oh, miraculous things happen when the gospel is preached. Lives are miraculously transformed. Look what the Bible says again in verse 15 of Mark chapter 16. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Understand this, the Bible here is not teaching baptismal regeneration. Uh, the emphasis of the passage is, is one's belief. It's one's faith. The Bible goes on to say, in verses 17 and 18, he, he tells all kinds of miraculous things that are going to take place. He says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. Uh, they shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if any drink any deadly thing, it shall uh, not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now understand this, that while the sign gifts that are mentioned here in Mark chapter 16 have faded away, with the completion of God's word. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, the Bible says this in verse number 8, he says, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So we understand that all of these sign gifts, they were only temporary, and they ceased with the apostles. They ceased with the completion of, of God's word. It'd be pretty cool to watch some of these things take place, wouldn't it? But remember what Christ said? He said that great, we would do greater things than this. <laughs> you know that, what is the greatest miracle of all? Is it not salvation? Is not seeing a soul place their faith in Jesus Christ the greatest miracle of all? Consider some of the things that, that how Christ describes salvation. For instance, in John chapter 3, he describes it as being born again. That's an incredible statement in and of itself, isn't it? Being born again. Here's another one. 1 John chapter 3 speaks of passing from death unto life. Here's another, being quickened or, or made alive. These are miraculous things, are they not? And having someone place their faith in Christ, this is a miraculous event. Do you remember the day that you, that you trusted Christ as Savior? Oh man, isn't that remarkable? We're unworthy, aren't we? But God's grace is powerful. His love is matchless. And His salvation is extended to all mankind. And Isaiah, remember... God cries out saying, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else. It's this power of God. But Christ makes us something new. He makes us something new, doesn't he? Wherefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's miraculous. And it's something that you and I cannot do. It's the work of God. But it's an amazing thing that God allows us to be used in such a way.
It's humbling, isn't it? But notice the final lesson that we see here tonight. Turn with me, if you would, please, to to Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1. And we find here that there's no place to stop. There's no place to stop with the gospel. In Acts chapter 1, in verse 6, the Bible says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. In verse 8, the Bible says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The uttermost part of the earth. Friends, there's no time to stop. There's no place that does not need the gospel. There's not one person who, should, who does not deserve to hear the message of salvation. And years ago, we took on a missionary who uh, had to move back home. Uh, some family things they're battling through, but they, they were serving the Lord in Nepal. How many of you remember the Knickerbockers? God used them. They did such a great work uh, in Nepal. And I remember Brother Luke coming to, and, and preaching and sharing their burden for the, for the Nepali people and they were trying to reach those living in the Tibetan plateau. And I remember him making a statement that you could walk for three weeks And not find one person, not meet one person who had ever heard the gospel or even heard the name of Jesus Christ. There's nowhere to stop. Sometimes we we put down roots deeper than Christ desires. We think that what we do in our little bubble is sufficient. We think that what we do is enough. But may I tell you, there's always more to do. There's no place to stop with the gospel. Was it Hudson Taylor that made this statement, the gospel is always advancing. And may the work of God through our lives continually advance for His glory. It's such a massive job, isn't it? It's something that no one person can do on their own. It takes the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we prepare for mission conference this week, Know that we are doing such things because the Lord has given us the authority to do so. He's called us to be witnesses. And as the Lord has changed our lives with the gospel, we go in His power, serving the Lord in His strength, relying upon His presence, Allowing us to see lives transformed with the power of the gospel. People being saved, born again, 
quickened from the dead, passing from death unto life, being made new creatures. But we mustn't stop. We can rest when we get to heaven. We must carry the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. May God help us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed.